0: Let's take a quick look at our unison reading. I'm very excited about this. This is such a beautiful passage of Scripture. I don't mean to imply that other portions of Scripture are ugly. I don't mean that in any way, but this is... Uh, I guess what I mean by that is we have here in this section, we've we've got a portion of turbocharged encouragement. And if, if, you'll, if you'll put your attention on it and... Really allow your meditation at this point to be informed by this. I think that uh, you'll find this very encouraging. You'll find this to be uh, very helpful. Uh, even if you're not praying out loud and you're you're praying silently along with the men who are leading us, you'll you'll find this portion of scripture to be very encouraging to you and edifying to you. It will it will help you to pray today with. Um, With with an awareness of what has been provided to you by Christ, that that will strengthen you as you pray. It will strengthen your thankfulness. Uh, It will remind you of why you need a Savior, why you need a sacrifice in your behalf. And um, putting your meditations on this will help you. um, which, Which I hope I hope that you do this in our prayer meeting and even before and after, I hope that you have this you have a sense of the importance of, of building up your anticipation for the word that is about to be preached. And the, the unison readings that we select are one of the things we're hoping to accomplish is to to draw you in to some of the themes that you might hear in the sermon to, to help to help build your anticipation. Um, for what you're about to hear um, so that you can approach the next hour with a, with a heart that's that's eager and, and ready to be taught. Well, um, let's notice verse 10. Let's start there. And it begins by saying, we have an altar. We have an altar. Now, I think the Apostle Paul is the, is the most likely candidate for the author of the book of Hebrews. And here he is. Um Preaching, writing this to Jewish converts to Christ, and we need and we need to recall the uh, for some of them they were under very severe persecution. We have evidence of that in the very in the very book of Hebrews. Uh, some of them had suffered the confiscation of their goods. That has to be dealt with. Uh, we know also from the book of Revelation, in the letter to Smyrna, we know that uh, they were suffering persecution. That would have probably been a mix of Jewish and Gentile uh, believers in that congregation. But they were suffering uh, under the blasphemy of those who would call themselves Jews but were not true Jews, as we understand that according to the gospel. They were a synagogue of Satan. That church in Smyrna is told not to fear those um, or not to fear those things that they were about to suffer. So we have, we have a lot of evidence of the very severe persecution. And you can put yourself into the shoes of a Jewish convert to Christ. And so your whole life you've grown up in this community, and you've grown up with these very familiar things regarding the synagogue and regarding, uh, especially if you were there in Jerusalem, um, especially on a daily basis perhaps, the things pertain to the Levitical priesthood, things pertain to the temple, these things that would have been a part of your life. You grew up very familiar. This is all you had known. And now, as a convert to Christ, you are... I don't think that we should underestimate the difficulty that this would have been in making this transition from Old Covenant thinking to New Covenant thinking. And, and maybe we can think that 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 would be that's not really an issue for us but it would very much have been an issue for them in in learning to make these steps from shadows to fulfillment and so if we have a context of persecution we know that Paul himself was accused of turning his back on Moses because of his preaching of the gospel Paul himself was persecuted and falsely accused of of turning his back on the Word of God and turning his back on Moses and those kinds of things. And these Jewish converts to Christ would have been suffering similar accusations. And so you can hear, I think, you can hear this accusation coming against these Christians from their fellow Jewish countrymen. Accusations like, well, in turning to Christ, you have forsaken Moses and you have... You have forsaken the law, and you have forsaken the temple. You have forsaken the sacrifices. You have forsaken the altar. Right? And we can't underestimate how this could have been working and weighing very heavily upon the minds of the Jewish converts to Christ. And you can hear these. You can you can imagine how these things are weighing on their minds, and they're beginning to work on them, and they can begin to wonder: Well, is that? have I actually done that? I've heard the preaching of the gospel and I've I've given myself to that, but now what have I done? Because I have these other people yelling in the other ear telling me that I have forsaken the things that I ought not to have forsaken. And so notice verse 10. The message to them is we have an altar. We have an altar from which Those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. So you hear this very powerful encouragement that we have an altar. Now, an altar is the place of sacrifice, and that's what's being referenced. All right, to those who have put their faith in Christ, no, you're the ones who have the sacrifice. You have been accused of forsaking the sacrifices in the altar, but no, you're the one who has the altar and it's not just any altar it's the altar you're the ones who have not just the shadow sacrifices you who have put your faith in Christ you have the fulfillment sacrifice you have come to the you have come to the altar that the symbolic altar was all the time representing and all the time signifying you've been brought to the altar to the heavenly altar, to the real one, not to not to a symbol. So here it is. You, see, you hear this powerful encouragement that in Christ you have the altar. In Christ you have you have the sacrifice. In Christ, you are the ones who have the everlasting benefits of the sacrifice. So yes, they are excluding you. Yes, they are Reviling you, yes, they are accusing you of abandoning the altar. And they are accusing you of abandoning the sacrifice. But no, no, in Christ, you're the ones who have the altar. In Christ, you're the ones who have you have the sacrifice. And those who serve the tabernacle there, we've been hearing we've been hearing, we've heard last Sunday certain Certain of those sacrifices, uh, or portions of them, were eaten either by the the one who offers them or the or the priest who receives that offering. Those who serve the tabernacle, that those who will not turn from the shadows and put their faith in He who is the fulfillment, He who was indicated by those signs, they have no right to eat of the sacrifice that you are partaking of. Apart from faith in Christ, you, you have no participation in the benefits of his offering. So, if I could... I don't know, this is too crass of a way to put it, but they're the ones missing out, not you. They're the ones who are out, not you, because of, uh, of no faith in Christ for them. You are the ones who are partaking. You are the ones who are feeding, and you're not feeding upon a sacrifice of an animal, you're feeding upon and partaking. You have this real communion with the fulfillment sacrifice. It is to you. You are the ones enjoying the benefits of this offering, this once-for-all-time offering that Christ has made. So it's very encouraging, isn't it? Now, I think we also hear an implication in this. It's a warning. It's, an, it's implying a warning that's already been explicitly made in this very book that if you turn from Christ, there's no other sacrifice. Right? So for people who are suffering this temptation of maybe going, maybe if for nothing else, alleviating the persecution, they feel tempted to go back, to, to abandon Christ and to go back to the participation in these old covenant shadows the warning has already been given in the book that if you, if you forsake Christ and you go back, you have, what you have to understand, there is no other sacrifice for your sin. So you can't, you can't turn back. You can't fall into the pressure of that persecution. Okay, so we would ask, why is there temptation to turn away from Christ in the first place? To, why is there this temptation to revert back to the old covenant shadows? Well, again, it's this heavy persecuting reproach that they were under. But notice verse 11, and here's, here's where Paul's going to take this. Rather than allowing reproach to drive you away from Christ, here's what you need to do instead. You need to see, or you need to understand, the reproach that you are suffering because of your faith in Christ. You need to see that as evidence of your union with Christ. Notice what he says here in verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Now this is a reference to the Day of Atonement. Now watch what happens here. This is beautiful. They need to be encouraged to persevere with Christ. So what does Paul do? He takes them to the Day of Atonement. Right? I believe that's what the reference is here. Because this is an offering that's made by the high priest. And it's an offering that's brought into the sanctuary that is the Holy of Holies. Now we can go to Leviticus chapter 6 or chapter 16 where we gather this information on the Day of Atonement. The body here is referencing the body of a bull. And the bull would have been sacrificed. And a portion of its blood would have been brought by the high priest once a year into the Holy of Holies. And there it would have been sprinkled upon that wooden box covered in gold the symbol of God's throne or the mercy seat but notice very careful detail all right the, the body of these bulls their bloods brought in the high priest does this sprinkling for sin but the body of the bull is taken and burned outside the camp leviticus specifies to us that uh, the remains of the uh, the carcass of that bull would have been completely consumed with nothing left and we've heard we've heard Things like this preached to us recently. Completely consumed, completely burned outside the camp. Now, notice verse 12 therefore, Jesus also. Now, you want to say, wait, what? Wait a second. I thought we were talking about the Day of Atonement. So, which is it? Are we talking about, for the sake of encouragement, for the sake of enduring with Christ, are we talking about the Day of Atonement or are we talking about Jesus? What's the right answer to that? The answer is yes, right? The answer is yes. Now, I don't know if any of you, maybe you've not been wondering this, but in case you've been wondering, how, is David David preaching from Leviticus correctly? What is this, how David is making these connections between Leviticus and Christ? Is that actually the correct way to interpret the book of Leviticus, right? Or is he just making all this up? Well, notice here we have a Holy Spirit-inspired commentary on the book of Leviticus where the Holy Spirit-inspired commentary says, yes, that's how you interpret the book of Leviticus. It's pointing to Jesus. So you think about the bull. The blood is spilled, sprinkled upon the altar, but the body of the bull is taken outside the camp. Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So you're to think about the Day of Atonement and you're to think about how this points forward to the offering that Jesus made, but notice what else it points to. It points to the reproach that Jesus suffered being taken outside the gates of Jerusalem, taken outside the camp. That, as we have heard recently, this is a display of God's wrath. This area of outside the camp where the body is consumed, this is a very vivid graphic picture of the wrath of God poured out. This is the reproach. So verse 13, Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. Let us go also. So this is not saying that we ought to seek martyrdom. This isn't saying that we ought to provoke uh, persecution against ourselves. But when it comes, remember that this is how they treated Jesus. If, uh, no, we can think of how Jesus Himself taught this. If the world loves you and welcomes you and speaks well of you, is that good news or bad news? That's bad news. For so they spoke of the of the false prophets of old. Jesus says. But if the world reviles you, and if they hate you, and if they cast your name out as evil, good news or bad news? If they do that for your for the sake of your faith in Christ, good news or bad news? That's good. For so they treated. All right? All right? You are in the company of the good prophets, the true prophets. But you know who else's company you're in? You're in Jesus' company. You're in His company. Now that's encouraging, isn't it? They were reproaching you, reviling you for the sake of your faith in Christ. Remember how they treated Him. Remember how they took Him outside the camp. Remember how the reproach that He had to bear So go to Him where He is, where He was. Go, go to this approach. This is not a sign that you have been cast off by God. This is an indication that you are in union with Christ. You are in the best company that you can be in. Notice verse 14 now. Notice the eternal perspective that you have to have. Verse 14, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the One to come. This is a very plain statement that the earthly Jerusalem is not the continuing city. And these Jewish converts to Christ had to be encouraged with this because here they are suffering reviling, the the confiscation of their goods, perhaps even literally, they're being kicked out of Jerusalem. They're losing their things. They're losing being driven away from all the things that are familiar to them, right? But the earthly Jerusalem, this is not the continuing city. Don't think that you've lost something that you have to have. And by implication, I think, if we connect this back to verse 10, I think the message is also this. Endure with Jesus no matter what because the earthly temple is not the continuing temple. Endure with Christ because... The earthly sacrifices are not the sacrifices with enduring benefit. It's the sacrifice that Christ has made, is the one that has the continuing benefit. the The earthly altar is not the continuing altar. You 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 have been brought to the continuing altar by the sacrifice that offers to you the continual benefit, the unending benefit of the salvation that you need. So, you've not been left permanently homeless. All right, this is great encouragement for these believers and it's it's encouragement for us as well as we put our attention forward to the things that have been provided for us. And at that point, at this point I would encourage you to to remember Lot's wife. You remember why Lot Lot's wife looked back? It wasn't because of morbid curiosity. It's because she looked back upon that plane because she thought that's where her treasure was. Right? Jesus makes this very plain when when he when when Jesus himself interprets the events around Lot's wife when he says, Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Lot's wife looked back because that's where the devotion of her heart was. So the message here, message here, don't look back. Don't look back. There's, there's nothing there for your heart to be devoted to. Be devoted to Christ. He is your treasure. The gospel treasures are the ones that last. Don't don't look back. So therefore, in light of all this, what are you to do? What is your proper response? Notice verse 15, your proper response is bring your sacrifices. <laughs> Wait, what? I thought we were I thought we were leaving the sacrifices behind because of the sacrifice yes or no? Well not exactly. We're leaving the goats behind. We're leaving the bulls behind. We're leaving the grain offerings behind. But we're bringing now these sacrifices with us because of the sacrifice of Christ. Therefore, this is verse 15, therefore let us by Him, that is Christ, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So here we are, bring your sacrifice, bring today, as you pray today, and even as we are reading the scriptures and singing the hymns, and even as you are listening to the preaching of the gospel to you from the book of Leviticus, let, let your heart be filled with this offering, bringing this offering of thanksgiving to the Lord, bringing this sacrifice not of a goat but the sacrifice of praise and laying it there joyfully before, before the throne and the throne that we come to today is not a wooden box covered with gold it is the throne and it's not by means of the sacrifice of an animal your approach and your place there before the throne is safe you are welcomed there by the sacrifice of Christ Himself. Well, I I don't know about you, but I find that all very encouraging and I and I'm ready I feel like I'm already on the edge of the pew, ready to take in good things from the book of of Leviticus as they point me as they point me to my Savior.